Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to 1 Kings 18 as we continue our study in Elijah. And while you're doing that, I just want you to know that uh, the church in Rome is doing well. I'll just show you a little bit of evidence of the church in Rome, Italy. I mean, go pack go. You see what I'm saying? There is light. There is light. Let's go ahead and uh, ask God to guide our time. Father God, uh, as we look at your inspired, inerrant word, as we continue to study the life of Elijah, not that we would know some history, but that we would be transformed by your word, we ask that you would impart your truths to us, challenge us, encourage us, transform us. Father, help us to be committed like Elijah was committed. Father, allow his model to be our lives and how he lived to impact us for your glory and our betterment. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. In 1519, the Spanish explorer and conquistador, Fernando Cortez, took 12 ships to the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico with the intent of defeating the Aztecs. To this point, the Aztec Empire was 600 years strong. To our evidence, they had never been defeated. And he was going there with 100 sailors, 11 ships, including the flagship caravel, 500 soldiers. And frankly, when he got there, a number of ringleaders surreptitiously tried to drum up support among some of the soldiers. They would slip away one night was the plan get on a couple ships, and head over to Cuba, where they would spend the rest of their life in a Caribbean paradise. Because frankly, no one wanted to face the Aztecs. Who could defeat an undefeatable army? When Cortez learned about this, he scuttled 11 of the 12 ships. Now, lore says that he burned them, but evidence says that he actually scuttled them in a bay. Many of his soldiers came to him and said, what are you doing? If you scuttle the ships, how are we ever getting back? And he said, we're getting back on their ships, not ours. Now he allowed one ship to remain because, as you know, the king claims the fifth. That is, a fifth of all conquered booty was to be sent back to the monarch of Spain. So one ship remained to send that booty back. And now with his men completely committed, there was no way back short of winning. They conquered the Aztecs the first time, to our knowledge, in 600 years. Commitment was high. There was no turning back. Their backs were against the wall. And so they were committed to their goal. And with that commitment, they achieved it. Although not conquest, and far more about Christ... We see the same thing in the life of Jim Elliot. Many of you know the life of Jim Elliot. You know that he was raised in the Brethren Church. 
He went off to Wheaton College. He was called by God to the Ecuadorian Indians, the Catachu Indians. He went there with the purpose of taking an unreached people group and sharing the saving gospel of Christ with them. And you know that along with four other missionaries, he was speared to death. He was a martyr for his faith. It seems like before his ministry began, it was suddenly over. And Jim Elliott is known to us because of that sacrifice and because of a number of statements, one of which I will give you today. You've heard it before. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep, earthly life, in pursuit of that which he cannot lose, kingdom values, kingdom life. And he gave up his life because he was committed he was committed 100% to the, the goals, the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that's also like our Old Testament prophet, Elijah. Elijah is utterly committed to the kingdom. I want to pick up in chapter 18. We'll read verses 1 and 2, and then 17 and 18. After many days... The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. That's the third year of drought. Three and a half years actually into an entire region drought. Saying, go show yourself to Ahab. That's the Israelite king. A wicked and vile king. And I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Which as you know is about halfway north and south. In the land of Israel. Verses 17 and 18. And when Ahab the king saw Elijah the prophet. Ahab said to him. Is it you you troubler. That's actually the Hebrew word for asp. Or cobra. Or poisonous snake. You poisoner of Israel. And he answered I have not troubled Israel. But you have. And your father's house. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. And followed the Baals. Now let's recall our scene. We have a new king. His name is Ahab. He marries a new bride named Jezebel from Phoenicia. And she comes to Israel, bags, baggage, and Baals. She brings an insidious new worship of a false god named Baal. And in response, many in Israel follow and God responds through discipline. And God sends his prophet, chapter 17, 1 to 3. And Elijah, the prophet, says to Ahab, It shall not rain except at my word. And for the next three and a half years, there is no rain. The wadis dry up. There's no water in the rivers. There's animal carcasses everywhere. The ground is cracked. Famine is widespread. There is utter devastation all over the land. And you remember back in chapter 17, 3, God comes to Elijah and he says, Go to the brook Cherith and I will hide you there. And when God hides his prophet, there is no finding his prophet. In fact, when we get to chapter 18, verse 10, we discover that there has been an all-point bulletin. There has been an APB put out by Ahab to find this prophet. He has sent people all over the area, not just Israel, not just Samaria, but to the lands around, to other kings, to other provinces. And he's making other kings and other royal officials promise that they have no idea where Elijah is. 
to swear on their lives that they don't know where their prophet is. Because when God hides his prophet, the prophet remains hidden. And then we come to the beginning of chapter 18, and God says, go, Elijah, and show yourself. Now think about that. He is being accused as being the troubler of Israel. He's being accused of destroying a land. The famine is widespread. People are dying. There has been utter devastation. A nation has been ruined, and it's all being placed on him. And God says, Elijah, go to the king, the very man that's been searching for him for three and a half years. Humanly speaking, this is a death sentence, isn't it? If he goes, humanly speaking, the likelihood that he walks out of the palace alive is slim and none. And yet, what does verse 3 say? Elijah goes. That's faith. That's obedience. That's 100% commitment. That's the kind of commitment that God expects, that God wills for you and me. And so we step back this morning and we ask ourselves, what kind of commitment do we have for the kingdom? What kind of commitment do we have for Christ? And I believe for many, the commitment is high. And may your tribe increase. But even for the highest commitment among us, there's still the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ. One more connect with others. One more grow in Christ. One more go as we go and share the good news of Jesus Christ to take the next step in our relationship with the Lord. Elijah is committed. We must be committed. And so when Elijah shows himself, immediately Ahab bellows in verse 17, you troubler, ochre, you, you, you troubler of Israel. Again, it's the word asp. It's the word cobra. It's the word poisoner. You poisoner of Israel. And Elijah will have none of it. He says, I have not troubled or poisoned Israel. You have and your ancestors before me because they have gone after the false gods. They have gone after idolatry. They are embracing the Baals. In other words, Elijah accuses them of idolatry. He accuses them of breaking the first two commands of the Decalogue. In Exodus 20, 3-5, we read this. You shall have no other gods. And a god is not just a graven image. It's not just an icon. A god is whatever is most important in our life. It can be a person. It can be a place. It can be a thing. It can be a job. It can be a dream. It can be a goal. It can be a possession. If it's more important than the Lord, it's a false god. You shall have no other gods beside me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that it is in the water below the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. Elijah speaks the truth even when speaking the truth could cost him his life. He is a brave man. He is a committed man. He is a man like many of you. Sold out for the kingdom. May your tribe increase. Now Elijah will not compromise. He's too committed to the Lord. And I think we need to step back and take stock. And make sure that we are equally committed to God. Equally committed to the advancement of his kingdom. Equally committed to obedience. Even when it might not be culturally acceptable. Even when it might not be politically correct. Even when it might result 
in us being alienated or isolated. We, like Elijah, need to be committed to the kingdom of God. Even more committed than Cortez to reading the Aztecs. Committed like Jim Elliott or his wife Elizabeth, what we'll learn about in a moment. Such commitment is evidenced by his challenge. Let me read verses 19 to 24. Back in 1 Kings 18, verse 19 says this. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. Now we tend to read that and think Mount Carmel is like Rib Mountain. Actually, it's an entire region. It's a region up north in the Galilee between the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee. It's a whole region of mountains. And the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long? How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people spoke, it is well written. That is, they liked the plan. May Elijah's tribe increase. How long, he says, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. In other words, spiritual fence-sitting is detrimental to our spiritual walk. We need to either follow God as Lord or follow something else as Lord. There should not be a dividedness in our lives, in our hearts, with our commitment, how we utilize our time, how we live our lives. And yet we live in a day and age of dividedness. We live in a day and age of lukewarmness. We live in a day and age where people suspect that any faith is good. Whatever faith you follow, as long as it's sincere, that is enough. And yet what did Jesus say? In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter said in Acts 4.12, There is no other name by which you may be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Galatians 1.9 that even if an angel from heaven or someone would preach to you a gospel other than that which we preach, let him be anathema. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2.4 and 5, he said that there is one God and one mediator between God and man. That is the man Christ Jesus who is the Redeemer. How many mediators? How many Redeemers? One. Faith in Christ alone brings salvation. And no matter how sincere a person is, no matter how sincere a faith is, if the Bible is to be believed, and I believe it with every fiber of my being, Scripture says very clearly that there is one way, 
one way to salvation, not a plethora of ways, not earning our way. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ, accepting Christ alone as the Redeemer of our soul. And so Elijah sets up a contest. He says, how long will you waver between two positions? If the Lord is God, you serve him. If Baal is God, you serve him. Now, humanly speaking, this contest heavily favors Baal. Let me point that out. First, it's in the Mount Carmel region. You can go to Mount Carmel today. The the Carmelite monastery is there. It was filled with ancient idols, many of which were Baal idols. In other words, this is his home stadium. This is his home turf. This is where he reigns. If Baal is real, this is the spot that he ought to shine. The second thing is the contest is all about weather, right? Just send a bolt of lightning. Baal is a god of weather. In fact, we have ancient images of Baal with him actually holding lightning bolts. This is easy peasy. If ever a god can send down a little bit of lightning, it ought to be Baal. This is what he does, his home stadium. This is his home event. In verses 25 to 29, we see that his prophets go first. His prophets get to select which sacrifice. His prophets get almost the entire day. And then we see that there are 450 prophets of Baal and only one prophet of God. Humanly speaking, this should be a blowout. Humanly speaking, Baal should shine and God should not. And yet we know that it doesn't matter how many prophets, how many voices clamor for something. It doesn't matter where popular opinion is. Reality is reality. In this case, reality is that there's one true God, and God doesn't need us. But God enjoys, he is blessed to utilize us, a faithful man like Elijah who prays, and suddenly lightning comes down, and the entire altar, the entire sacrifice is obliterated. Elijah is committed. Now we talked about Jim Elliot. Let's talk about his wife, Elizabeth. Elizabeth also went to Wheaton College. She was committed. Jim and Elizabeth knew each other at college but decided not to date, not until God sent them both to Ecuador, both to the Cachua Indians. Then they dated, they got married, eventually had a daughter. And of course, Jim Elliot was martyred. What is Elizabeth, a young widowed mother, to do? She stayed. She stayed among the Cachua Indians, and she began to share the gospel and had a major part in leading the murderers of her husband and her child's father to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. She had a motto. Her motto was, serve God or be committed to God, keep a quiet spirit, and do the next step. That is, take the next step in a relationship with Jesus. And she did. Jim Elliott committed. Elizabeth Elliott committed. Elijah committed. Let's read a little bit more about his commitment. I want to pick up in verse 25 and read to 29. (coughs) 
Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud. They cut themselves after their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. That means religious sacrifice, usually a liquid one. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. That's what's going on. The heavens were brass. No lightning, no thunder, no fire, nothing. And so Elijah begins to mock them. The psalmist understands. Let me read from Psalm 115, verses 5 to 8. This is what the psalmist wrote about idolatry. He said, They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. The prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they called him Toeba, the abomination. That's what idolatry is. It's the abomination. Jeremiah called him Galul. I, I, I hesitate to translate it. It means dung balls. That's what he thought of uh, those who are uh, worshiping false idols and idols themselves, little dung balls. Now herein lies a moment of understanding. Scripture is inerrant because exactly what happened is exactly what is recorded. But when you have historical scripture, that doesn't mean you always have to follow suit. So none of us are prophets. Sorry, none. So we probably ought not walk around calling idols little dung balls. There might be a little more tact and a little better timing. But what we learn from Elijah is not so much the words to use, but how to speak forthrightly, how to be committed, how to be sold out, how to confront idolatry with truth, biblical truth, in our case, in a tactful and timely fashion. Elijah, he's a bit crude. He really is. I mean, my English is, cr- is less crude than the Hebrew. Uh, he essentially says that he might be on the celestial porcelain throne. Uh, he uses even more crude language than that. I'm not sure that that is the way to win people and influence But it's a different time, a different era, and he has a different role than we do. But what we can learn from him is to speak truth, to speak truth to our culture. I think with love, with timing and tact, but to share the truth that salvation is only in Christ and obedience to Christ is the only acceptable means of living our lives. But unlike Baal, who cannot answer, we have a God that can. Let me read a little bit about it. I want to go back and read verses 30 to 40. This is what our God can do. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. 
And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord said, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs, about seven quarts of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. We're in the middle of a drought. And he's pouring water. And he said, do it a second time. We're in the middle of a drought. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. We're in the middle of a drought. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood, read this, and the stones. Who do the stones represent? Israel, verse 31. This is a warning, isn't it? This is a warning that a day in accounting will take place for how we live our lives, how they live their lives. He was warning them. He obliterated the stones and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, which is, by the way, just a tiny little brook, and slaughtered them there. This is how God responds. The prayer of faith. He didn't cut himself. He didn't lash himself. It was not made for TV. It wasn't in order to garner attention, just the faithful prayer of a man, and God responded. And that's the faithful prayer of someone like you, someone like me. Remember, James 5 goes out of its way to say that Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah is not a superpower, but he's connected to the superpower. He falls upon the power of God's Spirit who works in and through him to do God's advancement and God's kingdom work. As you and I conclude today, I have two thoughts. First, let's never underestimate what God wants to do through us. One woman, one youth, one child, one man, one athlete in the locker room or on the field, one artist, one employer, one employee, One person in a rec group, one person in recreation. What can God do through one person who stands up and is counted, who lives for the Lord, who verbalizes in a tactful and timely manner? One Jim Elliott, one Elizabeth Elliott. What does God want to do through us? How does he want us to take the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ? How does he want us to connect with others, to go to grow in Christ? What does he want us to do to impact our world, to advance his kingdom here on earth? Never underestimate what God desires to do through you and through me. Some of you 
are very seriously following the Lord. Praise the Lord. Keep going. Maybe others are unsure who Christ is. Maybe today is the day that you recognize that you, me, we are sinners in need of a Savior. And we fall down before Christ. And we accept his death as a payment of our sin and his resurrection as life after the grave. And we begin to follow Christ. And we begin to take the next step in our relationship with Jesus. What can God do through one man, one woman? The second thing we want to remember is that fence sitting is not God's will for any of us. Elijah said, how long? How long will you tarry between two? How long will you sit on the fence? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will hate the one and love the other. No one can serve both God and mammon. Joshua said in Joshua 24, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There will be no fence sitting. And so we have to ask ourselves, in what areas of our lives are we fence sitting In what areas of our lives are we capitulating? In what areas of our lives are we not committed to the Lord? For some, it's probably very few. For others, it's probably a little bit more. We all need to be honest. What is the area or areas that God desires to work on us today? Elijah said, no more fence sitting. If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal, the idol, is God, Serve him. The Lord is God. And so let's commit ourselves to serving, living, 100% commitment to God. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we desire to serve you more and more, ourselves and our passions less and less. We desire to be sold out for you, 100% committed as a church family, as individual families, as individuals. Father, show us those areas where we have had a little bit less than 100% commitment or perhaps a lot less. And Father, may we address those empowered by your Spirit, connected to your Spirit for your glory and our betterment and the advancement of your kingdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.